Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. And on behalf of Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future, I'm Jeff. That's awesome. And reminiscent of our Christmas episode in the past. Very nice. And with us today, we have Marianne Sarah, uh, who works in the IBM CIO office and has just finished a two-year jaunt <laughs> uh, there um, getting out of the Kindrel data centers. Uh, a, f- a few years ago, you'll probably recall that IBM spun off their services to Kindrel. And uh, as such, uh, IBM decided that they were going to take over uh, work that was done by the former services arm, the now Kindrel arm. And they said, hey, we got to get out of this stuff and we got to do it really, really quickly. We got to find a vict- um, a person uh, who's going to drive that. And, and Marianne has driven that for the last two years. And, and it just about finished, right? I mean, when did, when did, when did you finally finish? So the, uh, the actual operational deadline was November 3rd for the separation between the two companies. And this was an SEC-driven deadline as well, so super, super strict, um, which came with uh, all sorts of benefits um, as well as challenges. But we actually finished a week later um, because we, uh, for, for the data center exits themselves, we didn't have that same deadline. We could take a bit more time. And we chose to do it because we chose to overachieve our goals and, and really move every single piece of data we could find um, into the new data center. So, so this is a this is a huge undertaking, right? Most companies take um, you know a decade or so to do this move. How did you how did you do all of that in the time frame that you had? So this is where having a really strict timeline helps. We <laughs> didn't have a choice. Um, and 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 I have to add that in the separation between IBM and Kindrel, the operational team supporting IBM CIO also became Kindrel. And there was a strategic decision made to insource the teams as well. And because there was a non-poaching agreement between the two companies, I wasn't able to hire the team that had the institutional knowledge. I had to hire a team from scratch, which was the other challenge that we had. And that made um, all of this particularly exciting is moving data centers in two years was extremely difficult. Creating a team from scratch was extremely difficult. Doing both in the same timeline, um, many of my friends and consulting friends said, yeah, no, that's not feasible. (laughs) And we did interview a few people um, for said team um, that said, yeah, no, we're not even going to join the party, it seems impossible. Um, But we did it. And I think having that very, very strict um, timeline that was not set by any leadership, but that was really set by things from the outside helped a lot because it was clearly non-negotiable. And hiring a team that was new to this for the purpose of this mission, even though, of course, the goal was also to keep them um, and to create the team that was uh, going to be supporting CIO for the foreseeable future. Um, Having that new team really helped because we were hiring people um, who were very aware of what the next 18 months to 24 months were going to be like. Um, So we did hire many, many heroes, um, which the Z community happens to have plenty of. um, Mm -hmm. And 
people who are very competitive overachievers um, <laughs> who, when we described the mission, they were like, oh, this seems impossible. Sign me up. Um, and that we're not going to fail, simply not going to fail. And having a set timeline and that attitude really helps because we were able to get help from absolutely everyone in the community within all of IBM, of course, but even outside. Everyone waited, everyone helped us, everyone was super interested in the challenge. Even people who knew nothing about Z, but knew something about data centers, um, the storage team, of course, the whole community chipped in um, because they, everyone wanted to see this succeed and we couldn't have done it without it. So help, yeah. help me understand the, the scope of this. How many systems, like how many pieces of equipment are we talking about? Where are we going from and to? And, and also, is, it, was this like a one-to-one, um, I don't want to say lift and shift, but like is it was the idea to get the destination exactly the same as the source or was it, hey, let's take an opportunity to, to do something along the way? That is an excellent question for context, which I guess uh, Frank and I chose to completely ignore because we're way too close to it. Um, so thank you for that. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so um, we had 23 data centers to start with, and those are the ones that had a Z presence. The footprint oh, wow. was larger. Um, yes. And it's uh, it, it, this is IBM. And these were okay. data centers that I, were created. I was created. picturing like a room somewhere. Okay. This, <laughs> now this makes sense. No. Yeah. 23 all over the world um, that... We chose to consolidate into four data centers, two in the U.S. and two in Europe for um, business and regulatory reasons. And uh, we had, so from a Z environment perspective, we had 577 LPARs that we counted when we started. And this does not include the, uh, let's say, infrastructure LPARs, um, the coupling facilities and and that type of LPAR. Um, And we had well over 600 applications. Um, so an absolutely huge footprint. An- another metric that I like that really gives the size of, of this environment was 3.4 million MIPS, which uh. makes us, yeah, in the top 10 Z clients. And all of this, an, a factor, an aspect of this that I think is really important is the amount of tech debt that we had, is that we didn't even have a clean inventory. But as we dug deeper and deeper, we also saw that it, the environment was, we were the cobbler's kids. I'm not going to blame the team that was handling this before us. It was, this environment was managed like Z's grew on trees. And so there was absolutely no effort made to optimize it in any way. And so this is what happens to an environment that is managed that way for 40 years with no optimization and no cleanup whatsoever. I mean, I'm not even going to go into the storage piece of this um, that was probably our biggest nightmare. Um, everything was kept forever. And whenever there was a new application, we would give it a new L part. And so of those um, upwards of, of like nearly 600 L parts in total with the infrastructure ones, we probably have over 300 images, which also is a metric that should scare a lot of, um, <laughs> of our Z yeah. clients. Um, so Jeff, I guess that was a very long answer to your short question. Well, no, no, I mean, we, we did a migration. I don't know if, if Frank, were you, if you were part of this uh, like 20 years ago, um, where we moved everything from 7.0, was it 7.10 to, yes. yeah, to building 12. And it was a, it was, that was a lift and shift, did it over the course of a weekend, planned out for the course of, over the course of like 16 months about like, you know, which, what's going to plug into where. 
and I just remember finding so many cables uh, <laughs> under the raised floors, and they got thicker and thicker the deeper you got because you got into like these bus and tag garden hose things. <laughs> Well, and that's, you know, it's not just the hardware, right? I mean, there were, um, when you think about, you know, 40 or 50 years of applications um, that the guy who wrote this app, you know, died a dozen years ago. And, and now nobody knows anything about that application. It just keeps running and nobody touches it. Okay, well, what, what does it rely on? Right. So it's not just, hey, we moved a bunch of hardware and and that was a fun time. It was how do I move these applications? And 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 Jeff, you know, talked about a lift and shift. And and yes, we did lift and shift, right? But you did more than just lift and shift, right? Yes. Uh, this is a, a great tee up for the slip and slide. Yes. <laughs> I, I hope it's a literal slip and slide. <laughs> Um, sometimes it felt like it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we, we actually had to hedge our bets. Like when, when we looked at everything that we needed to move and where we were moving it to and the state it was in, um, I, I think one of our big, big things was, okay, what, what do we do about all of this? So of course, um, we accelerate sunsets for some of these things. Like we clean up as much as we can, but keep in mind that we lost all of the institutional knowledge and we had to be safe. Our environment, just like with clients, runs all of the financially significant applications. A lot of regulatory data is on it. Um, and so these are applications that cannot afford any downtime at all. Um, and so we had to somewhat be careful about what we were um, sunsetting and shutting down. Mm. So that was one avenue. The other one was lift and shift, which we define as really moving the LPARs. Um, which again, many times for us was one application, one LPAR. So that was slow. Um, but it was really taking that LPAR as a whole, as a box and moving the box into the new environment. Um, and we can talk more about that. We were extremely successful. We never had a rollback. I think we had 48 waves of that, some of which were uh, weekday cutovers and stuff. So I'm really, really proud of the team um, on, on that side. And then slip and slide, equally proud of that too, um, was creating a brand new environment, a new platform from scratch. Um, and this was based on the observation that we had so much tech debt in the old environment that we lovingly called the dumpster fire, that we were never going to fix it by incrementally cleaning up the tech debt. We had to think much more holistically. So we built a brand new environment, fully automated, um, and this was Rosen Ratcliffe's and Jerry Edgington's baby of, like, let's design this. And, of course, it is also the fruit of many of all of you guys talking about this and, like, generation after generation of share and, and, and other conferences. This was, like, everyone's dream environment, fully automated um, and we built just enough foundations for that environment to slip and slide applications into it. So this wasn't moving LPARs, it was moving the actual applications. And we needed to call it something different because it was getting really confusing. And this is where my non-techie, um, but probably country music fan came in and <laughs> came slip and slide. Huh. Um, so that was the other path that we took. Now, because of the tech debt, which at the beginning we were underestimating, of course, um, we were only able to move three applications into that environment as part of the data center exits um, because there was just too much work on the application side. 
um, to clean up, but also just uh, the awareness of like, what do you have? Um, conversation after conversation, application teams who were extremely collaborative, and I really, really thank them because we this was a collective effort. Um, but even they were discovering things on their applications day after day, like components that they didn't know they had, compilers that hadn't been touched since the 60s. Like, so we were only able to move three applications, but this is the next phase of our transformation is moving every single application into this new environment um, because that is really what's going to drive. Now that we've driven the kind of SEC must-do piece of the work, now we're going to drive the actual benefits and savings, cost savings in a new environment that will take practically zero maintenance. I shouldn't say that. It's still going to take way less. Right. I mean, I wonder if you could just spend a couple of minutes. There's there's something that uh, underpins a lot of what you were talking about that you kind of speak over, and that is um, discovery, right? You're, you're in an um, environment where um, nobody, um, and let me say that again, nobody knew what you had. Um, even the people that were running it um, knew the pieces that were working but but nobody understood all the user exits, all the how do you deal with an environment where there are so many unknowns? I trust other people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is actually I, I was wondering how long it would take us um, for me to have an opportunity to give credit to Kevin Miner and Mike Kuster, <laughs> uh, who have been guests on this show. Um, and, and folks, um, like Kevin and Mike um, and the overall Z community, um, especially within IBM, jumped in to help us and gave us every tool, every piece of code that we could pull together um, to do the automated discovery. Now, again, as a non-techie, what I observed is that the automated discovery has its limits, especially when um, you're really starting from scratch and you don't really know where to look and what to look for. Um, and we didn't even have the right assumptions. Um, we thought the user mods would be easy to find. We thought the SMPE data would be easy to find. Um, turns out none of that was true. Um, and we're still working on that. Um, and and we, we all assumed some level of standardization. Um, but it turns out, like, again, 300 images. We did not assume that. Um, we we know that most of our clients run on two, three, four images tops. We thought maybe 15, but not 300. And so the discovery, like as anyone can imagine, you can only automate standards. If you right. don't have a standard or if you have a, a standard of 300, um, you have to automate 300 times for that to be efficient. And we did not have time to, to do that. So... There was, um, we did rely on every human being able to help us um, and also trial and error, but it was absolute hell. And this was one of the big, big lessons learned early on um, for any client that wants to attempt this. And and just generally, like not even if, if clients intend to move, but get your inventory, right? <laughs> get it under control. Get your SMPE data under control. Make sure you have everything. Uh, get your source code. Um, make sure you know where it is. Our source code for some of our applications um, was way back in the back of the VTSs because there were rules applied based on 
how how long it has been since you last touched the piece of code and some of these we have code running on our environment that was also used for the lunar missions now i find that super cool um but it also means it hasn't been touched in quite some time and some of that is in lpars um that are not flagged as quote unquote important um and the data is lying again not flagged as important at the back of the vts which was also physical tapes and frank's looking at me like oh, my, my, my bingo grid like we got we got discovery out of the way we got vts out of the way um those are all my my triggers um but yeah so discovery is still ongoing i would say and this is where um the lift and shift team really really created magic because being able to move all of this without ever really really knowing what was in it it's imagine if you're moving from one house to another and you're just moving boxes. You have no idea what's in the box. You don't know if it's, you know, a, a crystal vase full of water that might break <laughs> and drip. Um, you don't know what it is, but you're just going to move it and you're going to plug it into the destination and just make it work. And I think that's the resiliency of Z is that it really takes a lot to break it. Um, and so mm -hmm. we were able to pull it off. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about um, because you, you've mentioned along the way that you needed the entire community to help you. Um, can you describe what it's like to manage an environment like this, right? Because you're, you're literally standing in the middle of chaos, right? Because every time you turn around, um, because... Because there's so much technical debt, every time you turn around, there's another, there's another fire. I mean, how did you manage the, the, the teams in that space? Again, trust. And <laughs> um, I think the commitment to not failing um, was absolutely huge. And those are, uh, those are, are like human um, things, not technical skills. Um, there was definitely a lot of technical skills and a healthy mix of people who enjoy firefighting and people who only want to do firefighting, like fight the same fire once and <laughs> automate it for the next time and recognize patterns and sustainably fix things. And of course, we only fix for the next similar fire. Um, and and also, I think um, a very strong sense of this will end. This has a very clear deadline because we the, the amount of personal commitment that this took, um, because even if we weren't working 24-7, because one, that would be illegal uh, to two years is short, but it's also very long. It's it's you cannot sustainably work 24-7 for two years. Um, I guess this is a. a message to everyone who tries to do that uh, don't um and and so we had to be very mindful of each other um and and monitor each other's um like burnout um and i did ask for all of the team to be monitoring each other to make sure that we detected burnouts and and we did not have a single burnout which uh, i'm personally very proud of um we did have a, a couple of people come close they, I think all of us, because again, we were not going to fail. Um, but I think it's a good combination of skills, 
a good um, pragmatic approach of if anything comes up that we want to do, the question is, does it get us out of the data centers faster? Yes, no. And so huge prioritization there, um, which help, like what is helpful is that it was a corporate um, imperative. And so it wasn't up for negotiation. Nobody could tell us. I mean, there was some things where, you know, like any big corporation, we have a really, really solid risk system. And some things we were like, well, actually, we're not going to do this. We're going to open a risk. And and as we all know, a lot of these risks are created for x86 environments where hardware does break. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so in a Z environment, there are some of these compliance points that are actually a little bit exaggerated on a Z environment. Um, I could get in trouble for saying this, but um, but that on a Z environment, you can actually, there are redundancies that are built in. And so you can actually take some of the risk for that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I think that was a part of it, but it, it seemed from the outside and, and and I I really was on the outside. Um, it seemed like there was a, a lot less, that's not my job. Yeah. Um, in, in the group. And I, I think that may be based on the way you managed it. I, I see where you're going with this. Um, I, I think, so interestingly enough, I think um, there was a, a healthy, that's not my job. So within our team and anything that was on the Z environment was absolutely our job. But there were some things in the way the separation um, was was written, like the text that was written, that landed in very much um, that's not our job. Like that is uh, other other teams will need to fix this. And uh, we, we have in our inventory and we had a plan with everything that needed to move. And we had one of our categories was um, how it was going to move. So that's where you had lift and shift, slip and slide, sunset. One of the categories was knock nom, which stands for <laughs> not our circus, not our monkeys. Ah, uh, okay. Those were things that are, well, just not us to fix. But... I think where that the really important part is that when it when we deemed it knock nom, we absolutely made sure the team whose monkeys it was was aware of it that there was a clear handshake that they they absolutely said yes we've got this. So we didn't drop any balls. We did, however, pass balls and say this is yours. Like this is not ours. Like announcement to the world, we're not going to do this. And we did that very early on. Um, to make sure that the boundaries were well-defined because, again, everyone's team was brand new and boundaries were easy to miss. And so we over-communicated on every aspect of this to make sure that whatever we were not doing, another team was doing. Well, when, when, when talking about like um, making sure that everything is, is covered the best possibly, it's, it's, it's very common for feature creep to kind of come in when designing software or anything really. At what point was the plan like solidified, hands off? No, we don't want any more helpful input about what we could do. Like, did that ever completely get locked down, or was it always up for negotiation? I actually don't know. I think in some <laughs> areas, um, it is still ongoing because there are things okay. that. Uh, for example, that we're not part of the data center exits for any team. And so those we kind of tiptoed around and we're like, okay, that's a 2024 headache. 
it went pretty smoothly. I, I think there's definitely in the um, – sorry, I'm hesitating because there is one area <laughs> where there was definitely uh, movement. It was – so not so much on the data center exit piece but the other um, the other mountain which was creating the team from scratch where um, initially all of us kind of followed um, the, the default approach which was uh, we're going to mirror the exiting team's structure. Right. Um, just to make sure that we had all of the data, the, the knowledge transfer, et cetera. And I think there, there were a few things that really, really didn't make sense. And so we did have a bit of movement there where, um, for example, my team initially did not have Z middleware, did not have Z automation, um, and did not have ZVM. And yet those were clearly going to be the same sort of skills that required synergies. And so we were going to staff and train much faster if we put all of those under one same team. And so um, we did consolidate and we did shift teams around um, and, and that was helpful. And that's how I, I also got IBMI, which I know we're not <laughs> supposed to talk about IBMI here, but I am so proud that I also have IBMI in my team. <laughs> I, I love, I love that platform. Also, it does run the software uh, that actually manufactures Z, so it is relevant. Uh, I was going to say, that's kind of its wheelhouse, like yeah. industrial. It is. But I, I, I just want to circle back to this because I, I want uh, the listeners to understand the, um, the fact that not only were you dealing with a data center move, you were dealing with some very strong technical personalities um, who had a definite agenda on where they wanted to move things. How did you manage? I mean, because because talk about scope creep, right? You you get a bunch of technical executives in a room, yeah, and they want it done their way. First of all, I love uh, the people that you mentioned without mentioning, um, <laughs> which helps, um, and. Second, I would say our areas of specialty do not overlap. And so I generally don't have an opinion about going one way or another. And so my role was more about two things. One, being the person who asks um, every time there's a new idea, does it get us out of the data centers faster? So does it get us to X goal um, faster? And fortunately, um, the the experts we we're working with were also um, deeply mission-driven and they tend to forget because we're all passionate about what we do. And so you get excited and you tend to forget and you're like creating this beautiful, wonderful thing. And I love that they accepted that question and sometimes they're like, oh no, yeah, you're right. This is a 2024 thing. Um, <laughs> and so that was very, very easy because like my role was easy. All I had to remember was what we were trying to do. And, and then bring it up often enough. Um, and I think the other thing was was keeping a, a yes and attitude. Um, of oh, improv. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Exactly. Ooh, yes, yes. Well, it, it is about like, you know, <laughs> and. Um, uh, slip and slide. Yeah, great. Slip and slide. But it is the most unknown way of, it's the most unknown path to get ourselves out of a data center. And 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 building that fully automated res build and the whole environment had not been attempted yet to the scale. And sure, we had some pieces of it, but we didn't have the whole thing. So there were a lot of unknowns there. Lift and shift. 
absolutely a known entity and we had already a solid team that had started working on it. And so it wasn't going to be a conversation about slip and slide or lift and shift. It was going to be lift and shift and slip and slide. And reaching that compromise every time and attempting things and failing fast. So attempting it on a small piece and ensuring that we fail fast, pivot fast, learn fast, and that we keep that attitude where no blame, no shame, your idea, we took it, we tried it, we played with it. It did not get us to the goal fast enough for this particular mission, but it is something we want to do. So we're going to keep it for when we're done with this crazy mission. So I think it was that of a lot of compromising and the fact that I'm an outsider and that I don't have my own opinions about technically how we're going to do things makes my role simpler because as an outsider, I can ask the operational question of, does this help? Yes, no. And then there's great partnerships because I actually, again, love these folks. And so it makes it very, very easy because I think there's a lot of respect between us. And also, these are folks who know that if you try to run an IT shop with only technical profiles, you run it into a wall. And this particular mission was too important and too non-negotiable to attempt having a, a, a power struggle of IT decides, no operations decides, no blah, blah, blah. So this was, we're, we're in it together. We appreciate each other. We respect each other for our strengths. And we're going to deliver this together. And we're going to play around with experiments while we do it, but also leave some experiments for the next phase. So what's, what's left to do at this point? got to be almost done. I mean, two years, come on. <laughs> so we are absolutely done with the exits. Um, and I, I hope that we're going to get some bits and pieces, whatever IBM does not recycle because IBM re recycles a lot. Um, but I hope that we can get bits of piece and pieces of some of our hardware so that we can have our own ceremony. It will involve fire. Um, and, <laughs> And that'll be therapeutic. Um, but then the next phase is declunkification. <laughs> what a great term. A fantastic term. Um, and that is really moving everything to the new environment, uh, which is going to be super, super exciting because that's where we're going to get to open every single application up and understand what's, uh, what's in it. And I hope we're going to find more lunar code because that's cool. Um, and, and then just getting our environment under our control because we've inherited a lot and anything that we didn't need to know and to control, we kind of left it in those packing boxes. And now we're going to have to open up all the packing boxes and declunkify. So we're going to hopefully be able to throw things out. And by that, I mean mostly standardizing. So those 300 images in the new environment, we're going to run two images that are going to be like on, on two consecutive ZOS um, versions. So we're going to bring all of that down, but we're going to try not to go from 300 to two. We're going to have simplification standardization going on on the new environment in parallel to moving into, sorry, in the old environment in parallel to moving to the new environment because we simply cannot continue running a dumpster fire. It's not sustainable. It's not good for the team. It's not good for, we're taking too many risks in a way like it's 
who wants to be called at three o'clock in the morning for a Sev one that was like <laughs> something run out of scratch tape, like not interested. So mm. we're, we're automating alerts. We're automating as much as possible, but again, there's limits to what we can automate on a non-standard environment. So we're being very selective um, on, on what we're automating to make sure it's the best return, which is the very least of what everyone should be doing for their tech debt is be selective, prioritize what has an impact while creating a brand new environment. Um, and that just buys you time to do it properly. And I think that's the really cool thing that you're doing is um, everything that you do tactically, even in this move, understood where the strategic direction was. And you kind of move toward that, which I think is is a big part of that. And I, I know we're running, I mean, we're already you know, uh, 30 minutes in. Um, I, I did want, there, there were two things I was kind of hoping that you could spend just a short period of time on. One, can you talk about that last day um, and, and what it took to get over the line? Because that's usually when, oh, we didn't know, we forgot that, or, or nobody told us that, or could you describe that? How did you make the last day happen? Yeah, any skeletons discovered figurative yes. or otherwise? <laughs> um, yes. So the Z side of things actually went well. Um, and and I sincerely hope that we can help our clients with all the lessons learned on that side, especially our run book for lift and shift has like plan A all the way to Z. And every one of the 48 uh, waves that we had ended at like plan T, U, V, like really <laughs> tight. And then we pushed through and we still did it. Um, and that is, I have to say, thanks to the collaboration of the application teams that we're always also very, very um, aware of of the stakes. And we're like, okay, yeah, we'll fix this like in, in, the, uh, in, in the new data center. We're fine. We're fine. We're going to get through this. So that piece actually uh, went well, which is good because it was a very, very big chunk. Um, the biggest skeleton um, was the VTS, <laughs> so virtual tape storage, uh, and I absolutely love that beast. I've 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 become a big fan. Um, it's we call it the the other four letter word. Um, it was held because we did not know how it was managed, and we underestimated um, the amount of data that we had especially on the last one that we had to move. Um, there were some challenges there because there was data that needed to stay in Europe for regulatory reasons and data that it could be in the U.S. And we did not know our grid configuration well. We did not um, know the limits of the grid configuration. We did not know the product well. And I've heard some clients also um, say this, that it is hard to find experts in this field. Now, I know the experts at IBM and absolutely owe them many, many drinks or whatever. <laughs> um, the Tucson team was absolutely fantastic. And they, I know, uh, helped us experiment with what we could do and, and could not do in the uh, degridding or as it's apparently called, unjoining. It comes with a whole set of vocabulary because, of course, we love our jargon. <laughs> um, and the reason this was hell was that it, it it touches everything. It touches like the LPARs. It touches the uh, um, the the network, um, whether it's grid to grid or 
um, whether it is within the grid and it's mirroring. Um, so it has a lot of, of mm, I guess, unknowns or like they are very well known by the experts, but um, we did not have experts in our team on day one. Um, so we had to call in a lot of the community. And then on the last day, um, the network team was, of course, dismantling. The hardware team was also dismantling. And somebody dismantled something um, when we still had five terabytes <laughs> of data that we had to move. That was not fun. Um, and so that was the last day of, oh, what do we do about this? And there was some production data in there. And this is where I mentioned earlier that we like overachieving is that we had taken as part of the de-risking, um, I had proposed early on that we move only production data. And we just take the risk on non-prod data and that we would move the VTS physically. Because keep in mind that these data centers, for some of them, um, like our buildings, our IBM buildings, were sometimes like sliced in half and one one slice became orange and the other one remained blue. And so sometimes moving a machine just one floor or or one door to the right was technically on IBM soil and we were um, we were done. And so... Of course, we can't do that with our Z systems. And I asked this on day one. It's like, why don't we do that? I, I was told outages would be significant. So how sad. Because I pictured data center exits as putting machines on a truck and just moving them, um, which I still think I'm going to do someday. Um, but with the VTS, once the production data was out, it it is possible because you don't need your non-production data. You can you can stay like without it um, for, for a few days. And and so we that was our, our backup plan was to leave the non-production data and and just move it and then we could figure out how we plug it in if we need it. Um, but no, we actually chose to take a few more days and finish it. But that meant that the five terabytes had a little bit of data that we absolutely needed and we had to call in everyone like the network team had to help us the um the storage team within cio the storage experts outside of cio everyone who knew how to spell vts um jumped in and helped us and there was a lot of heroes that day and and we did get through it and that was the last day and i do hope that we get some of those tapes except for the metal reels of course that are also um <laughs> that that get recycled and just yeah have a, a voodoo ceremony of some sort <laughs> So okay, <clears throat> right before we, right before we uh, close this out, top five things that you learned from doing this. So one that we haven't talked about yet is the dynamic operating model and the fact that it works. And I'm really proud of that one because that was kind of um, the 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 experience that I was bringing to the table, um, which is the concept of building an operating model around the talent and around the potential of people instead of trying to find the perfect person in the perfect box that you drew on a PowerPoint. It's finding the talent, hiring the talent, getting people based on their motivation and potential, which is difficult to um, to, to, to identify. Um, and then building the operating model around them and, and keeping it dynamic in the sense of defining the accountabilities um, every four to six weeks. And and, and this was particularly helpful in this case because there were people who were signing up to jobs that they knew 80% of, but maybe not the other 20%. And um, we it really revealed some some talent that I'm so proud of, like folks that are um, that were 
were technical their whole careers and would sign up to say, well, actually, I can take on this particular piece. I will take the management piece of this and turned out to be absolutely successful. Um, And sometimes people took risks and said, well, I'm going to try this, but uh, I don't really know where I'm, uh, I'm going with this. So trusting the culture of the team that we would absolutely have their backs and split split the role or find um, somebody else to back them up, et cetera. So that dynamic operating model concept that I had already implemented in, in smaller scales um, with clients, the fact that we could do this from scratch was absolutely amazing. And it really, really yielded sustainable results because we are still shifting gears and kind of like a Rubik's Cube that we keep moving depending on where we want to go. So now with our new mission, we're going to, um, again, publish a, a new version of our operating model. And and, uh, and that is really embedded in the culture of our team. So really, really proud of that. Um, operationally, again, um, so not technical at all. Something that I, w- if I had to do this again, I would absolutely do better is the rewards. It was disappointing. Um that our teams had a very, very clear deadline. And this is like having the final of a World Cup. It is a known date. And we worked extremely hard. All the teams worked extremely hard to get to that. And I think it was really important to prepare all of the rewards um, at the end of that, on that date. And I feel like I tried to make sure that happened and didn't happen enough, let's just say. Uh, and I don't I don't know what enough means, but um, I feel it's really, really important, especially, to, again, to create that culture of you give everything to a mission, make sure there's something at the end and, and, and define what that is. And that's on me. I should have spent more time defining what that meant um, with the general ecosystem to make sure that that was there at the finish line. Um, especially because we have this next phase coming up and we need to maybe not keep up the same pace that was a little bit insane, but definitely keep up that same level of commitment because that's what leads to success. So those are two non, um, non-technical non ones at all. Um, on the other parts, especially um, the data center exits, like definitely the inventory like that inventory needs to be clean. And it obviously needs to be clean for anyone who wants to attempt any transformation, not only data center exits, but also any type of modernization, even like a merger, anything. Um, Inventory for sure. Um, Definitely partnering with everyone around. So, and and I I talk to, to clients about this a lot is don't try to do this by yourself. Like, Use IBM, use the Z community overall, not only within IBM. We also have a lot of partners that have really strong um, skills. And this is like early on, create a partnering format, contract, whatever, that is a bucket of hours. Because in the excitement and in the trenches, that is not when you start thinking of the hourly rate of this service. Like you don't want to do that. So definitely taking into account that you're going to need help and putting that in place early on um, so that the teams are not um, like, don't have to slow down for admin reasons, which everybody hates. Um, So I'm at three. Uh, 
keep an open mind and keep moving forward, fail fast, uh, create that culture of failing fast and no blame, no shame, um, because the best idea might be lying with um, the intern who studied art history and that is just interested in this. Um, I, I wonder who that is. <laughs> it was me <laughs> a while ago. Um, but yeah, so um, really making sure that everyone is comfortable giving, um, proposing ideas. And um, that was very, very critical. Um, and And then also have something exciting for the next phase. I think it was really, really important for all of us to see the new environment being built. And we didn't have time to talk about this, but of course it's Python. Um, the automation is fully on, on Python and we intend to build these building blocks, um, the automation building blocks to share with our clients. And so the excitement of one, doing something um, that is new, doing it holistically, not as a small experiment, but as the entire new environment. And then it's going to be setting a new standard in the industry, um, having that at the end of the journey was critical for all of us to stay um, motivated and kind of above water. Because I think when you work on such a difficult mission for two years and every time you close your eyes, you like, and I, it's slowly going away, but I would see a VTS in front of me every time I close my eyes. So yeah. That, like the depression that comes when you're done with that, um, is, is really hard. And um, and so having something else to be excited about coming out of that was um, really critical. I think that's five. Yep. Yep, you made it. I could have kept it shorter, but. Um, <laughs> no, it was great. Uh, you have anything else, Jeff? No, no, this this has been really uh, interesting and uh, it sounds like uh, a lot to be learned. Yeah, maybe we may have to have her back. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, we definitely want to share. I, I am also a big fan of fighting one fight once and then um, making sure nobody has to again. And so we really want to share this with our clients, with um, all of the teams. We started already sharing it a lot within IBM because there are some things that are really basic. And that, you know, you you tell folks in theory, oh, make sure your inventory is clean. It's like telling a kid to clean up their room. It's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I get to it. Conceptually, <laughs> I understand it. But when you can share the battle scars and say, no, this is this is what happened. Um, I think there's a we've built a lot of credibility. This team has proven to be the fastest and the most efficient at doing what we do. And as client zero, I think that's the operational part of it as much as the technical part of it is really important to share um, because I don't want any of our clients going through this. It was, <laughs> like, it was, it was fun. I mean, we kept it fun because I have the best team in the world, but um, yeah, maybe we can find other ways of having fun. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and, uh, and so, yeah, we'll have to have, uh, I think it's really important to understand um, that, uh, Marianne is ready uh, for you to call her and ask her about this. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, in the meantime, old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. 
Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.